If you'll remain standing, uh, we pick up the story of uh, who will become St. Paul. He's still Saul at this point. Um, and he has been uh, going out of his way to imprison and murder Christians, the people of the way is what they called it. Um, and this is when Jesus confronts Saul face to face through his voice. Let's share in God's good word together. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. How in the world can you come to know the voice that you're looking for, the voice that you're listening for, with just one word? How does Blake do that? Well, it's from Oklahoma, of course. That's how you do it. Or maybe it is that he has given his life to music. Maybe he's actually laid down his life and he's studied music. He's studied harmony. He's studied chorus. He's studied tone. He knows what perfect pitch sounds like. He knows what rhythm is like. He knows about things like intonation and um, syncopation. And he can read music. He spent his whole life studying so that when the moment comes, he can hear that one voice. And you can too. When it comes to the Lord, the Lord wants you to hear his voice. He wants you to respond to his voice. He wants to be your friend. He wants to talk with you and and walk with you. That's why Jesus came, that you would know that God loves you. And you can actually hear his voice. It is not a pipe dream. It's not something that's only for super Christians or for those other people or for clergy or for nuns or priests or for uh, only Pentecostal folks. Methodists can hear the Lord too. We can. We can. And it's for your good. It's always for your good. So today I want to share with you uh, in real ways what God sounds like. What the very voice of God sounds like. It's something you can come to know. Uh, While God is holy mystery, God also wants to be known. Um, And for you to begin to know God, you can do that today. And so uh, my name is Mark. Uh, I'm the founding pastor here. I'm glad to be with you today. Um, This is the third in a series. We'll finish up next week um, as we uh, learn about what to do when God is silent. So I hope you'll come back for that next week. Uh, It's a very important message. It happens to all of us who have walked with the Lord very long at all. And so uh, you can get through that, and it's also for your good. So week one was this. Um, Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Um, Reverend John, Pastor John, helped us with the story of Eli and Samuel. And Samuel was being called by God. And it was Eli, his mentor, who allowed him to learn what the voice of God sounded like and to say, oh, no, that's God. You need to listen to him. And so this was Samuel's response. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. 
And I think for most of us, when we come to know the voice of the Lord, we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we come to it through another person. So on this Mother's Day, for example, how many of you all uh, were formed in your faith by your mom or grandma or an aunt? Right? Uh, Most of us were. This is how it normally works. But it doesn't always work that way. We have a great story about St. Augustine who read the Bible under a tree, and when he finished the Bible, he was like, wow, I believe. Uh, But we know that story because it's so unusual. Most of us come to know the Lord through the voice of those who are raising us up in the faith. Then last week, Reverend Brandon um, let us know that there's something in all of us that we really do want God to be big and bold and in the show and you know kind of flashy and do great things. They always wanted that from Jesus, and Jesus would never do that. He would never do miracles just to show off. He, he would do miracles for people who needed it. right? And so Reverend Brandon did a great job of talking through the story of Elijah and how... Um, He was running from Jezebel, and he was running for his life. He really was, and he was super scared. And from the sheer silence, God asked Elijah, who was hiding in a cave at the time, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing here? God asked that question a lot of us. Have you ever found yourself in a spot um, you're kind of embarrassed about or you're kind of sheepish about or you're just not sure, maybe you know it's sort of sketchy, and, and and, and God says to you, Hey, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? Now, the th- funny thing about these questions that God asks, he knows the answer. He already knows what you're doing. But he wants to raise your awareness of what you're doing. Like, this isn't a good idea. Right? And so he's asking Elijah, and, and there's this big fire, and there's this big earthquake, and there's this huge wind that, like, moves and breaks up mountains. And God's not in any of that. He, he, God comes in the silence, in the sheer silence. And Elijah wraps the mantle around his face, and he goes out. To experience the very presence of God in the small, still voice. So we, we come to today about how do you actually hear that voice? How do you get in touch with that? How do you live your life uh, in this life and the next in the voice of God? And, and I would submit to you, um, very, very serious about this, that nothing is more important to your life than learning how to hear God's voice. And, and all, of all the things you could learn, There's nothing more important to you in this life or the next than learning how to hear God's voice, what it sounds like, what God says, how to discern that voice from other voices, because this is what brings life. God's word is life itself. And this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. This is Jesus' own words. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. What my Father has given me is greater than all else. And no one can snatch it out of the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. When you hear God's voice, when you hear the voice of Jesus, when you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, there's no one on heaven or earth or under the earth that can take that from you. Now, you can choose not to hear it, but no one can take it from you. And Now, if you, if you wanted to be really direct about it, you could also say that those who do not hear Jesus' voice don't know him. And this is very serious things we're talking about today. That Jesus' expectation is, and his command is, that we hear his voice. This is to be a normative relationship. Now, if you haven't heard the voice of God ever or in a very long time, don't worry. You can. But it's going to take a little effort on our part. And it's going to take the right uh, sort of state of mind uh, and position. It's also going to take some study on our part. But you can know God, and God is more ready to speak to you then you are even to hear him. That's always the case. So how do we do that? Step one. To hear God's voice, it starts with submission. 
Um, you might put obedience there, or you might also uh, just put love there. It starts with your love of God, that you really want to be in relationship. You can't wait to hear God's voice, and you can't wait to respond to that voice. If that's the case, get ready, because God's ready to speak to you. I remember when I was uh, sixth grade, I moved to Guthrie, and I was there sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth grade, and my best friend in Guthrie was a, was a a friend of mine named Cannon. We were in the same grade, and he was just cool. You know how you come across those kids that are cool? Um, I mean, everything he had was cooler than what I had, and his house was nicer. His siblings were nicer. Uh, you know, he, he was a better athlete than I was. I mean, just everything about him was awesome, and I don't know if you remember having a friend like that, sixth, seventh, eighth grade. Uh, we, you know, and so um, Cannon, every once in a while, if I was, I was really lucky, uh, after school, he'd call me up. You know, he'd get his phone, uh, at his mom's house, and he'd go, two, eight, two, three. If you're under 20, look it up. It's something we did. It's called a phone uh, hooked to a wall. Anyway, um, he would call, and my sister would be like, Cannon's on the phone, and I'd run. I was so excited to hear his voice because I knew whatever he was going to say was going to be awesome, particularly if it was this time of year and it was muddy. We'd get on our bikes and go mudding. And just ride through the mud and see, you know, what we could find down in the creeks and you know, all the sorts of fun stuff that you can do. Sixth, seventh, eighth grade, we would go do it whenever Cannon. I could, I longed to hear his voice because it was going to be awesome. Now, I would submit to you that you can have that kind of relationship with Jesus, where you just can't wait to hear his voice. And if you're in that kind of relationship with Jesus, get ready for the joy of your life. Because that's what it is. It is joy in the Lord. We are to rejoice in the Lord, and that is our strength when we have that kind of relationship. And here's the thing. That relationship is personal. It's not private, but it is personal. And God calls you by name, as God has called people across millennia, across thousands of years, by name. And so uh, we started off with the call of Samuel, Samuel, Samuel. Here um, to Moses, he calls Moses by name in Exodus 3. He calls him by name. The relationship that you can have with God is a personal relationship where God knows every hair on your head or lack thereof. And what color of hair you used to have or what's underneath your current color. He knows it all. He knows it all. And he loves you. He loves you. So when the Lord saw that he had turned aside, meaning Moses, God calls him out. Moses, Moses. And Moses says, here I am. Now, what happens next is often when we talk to the Lord, and one of the reasons those of us who've known him a long time kind of get nervous about talking to God is often God will express a need around us in our family or in our neighborhood or in our community. He will let us know of a real need that God would like for us to address on his behalf with him, not in our own strength, but with him. And so in this case with Moses, um, the Lord says this, I've observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. Like, I love all my kids, and there they are, and they're having a hard time. I've heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings. If you're suffering today and you don't know whether God or not knows it or God cares, he, he knows. He cares. And, and it's just very possible that he might be asking you or someone else to start to work on that. I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, God says. You see, notice that not only does God state what the case is, and Moses knew that, of course, but he also gives him a promise, and God makes promises to you. That he will never leave you nor forsake you. That he will love you till the end of time. But Moses does what most of us do. He starts to argue. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Well, I just said, here I am. I wasn't expecting a job, right? He's like, whoa, time out. 
Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? You know, don't pick me. And God said, read it with me, I will be with you. Anybody know when this was written? When this happened, roughly? About 1,300 years before Jesus. Now, as we move forward through today, you're going to see this consistency. I will be with you. That's what God says. That's what Jesus says. That's what the Holy Spirit says. And that's what the people of God are to do, is to be with people in God's presence now and forever. I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you, God says. When you brought the people out of Egypt, notice that God's already claiming it. God's already saying, not if you decide to, or if it works out, or if the Pharaoh gets on page. No, he says, when you brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. It's a promise. It's going to happen. It is the case. It has happened in space and time. Now, as mortals, we don't understand it because we've still got some more rotations. But as God is God, God can say, and this is going to happen. And you're going to be a part of it. Watch my miracles on your behalf. And then God asked Moses a question in the same way that he asked Elijah a question. And he says this to Moses. He says, Moses, what is that in your hand? What is that in your hand? Now, if we're looking at the story on the face of it, it just looks like a stick. It just looks like a staff. It just looks like Moses' staff. But if you were Moses, you have already um, been a part of God's redeeming story and not even really known it. Right? Because the, the Pharaoh was killing all the, the Hebrew boys two and under. And his mom spares him by placing him in the Nile River and saves him from the alligators and all the other terrible things that could happen. The Pharaoh's daughter raises Moses in the Pharaoh's court. And in that time, he figures out that he's also of a Hebrew descendant. And then he kills a guy. He kills an Egyptian um, who was beating a Hebrew slave. And then he tries to cover him up, and then that doesn't work. And then he's found out. And so he is on the run. He has fled to the wilderness And he's a shepherd now. He's no longer a king of Egypt, but a shepherd. He's Jethro's son-in-law, and he has flocks. And so this stick is not just a stick to Moses. I mean, it's who he is. It's his identity. I'm a shepherd. I'm Jethro's son-in-law. This is who I am. But it's not just his identity. It's also his income. Right? In the same way that in West Texas or Western Oklahoma or, or Kansas, you never ask a guy how many cattle he has. That's rude. That'd be like asking a stockbroker what is his portfolio worth. You just don't do it. Right? It's not socially acceptable. So if you're a shepherd, this represents your income. And however many sheep or goats you have, that's who you are. It's your identity and it's your income. But it's also your influence. You see, as Jethro's son-in-law, he had great influence. He was the leader of his people out in Midian. Uh, and people knew of Moses. And it, So this thing right here, this stick was his whole life. It was, it was him, in a nutshell, his identity, his income, his influence. And what does God ask him to do? Lay it down. He says, lay it down. And that's what God asks of all of us. All of you. Your identity, your income, your influence, all of you. Trust me with it, and I'll work a miracle. But you've got to trust me with it. You've got to lay it down. And so he does. So Moses lays it down. This old dead stick, he lays it down. And voila, it comes to life. It becomes a snake. And then God says, pick it up. And Moses, like Moses, was like, hey, mama didn't raise no fool. You don't pick up a snake by the tail. 
But he does. He picks it back up. Becomes a staff again. But no longer his staff. The old staff dead stick of Moses becomes the very rod of God that will part the Red Sea, that will start the plagues, that will free his people and lead us to Jesus Christ in the Passover meal, the salvation of the whole world. Because obedience transforms our everyday into God's salvation way. But you've got to lay it down. Your identity, your influence, your income, all of it, you lay it down. And that dead part of your life, God will raise up and bring to life. Works miracles. So look what the Bible says. Look at this. You go back into Exodus and you'll read this. After this moment, it's no longer Moses' staff, is it? It says, so Moses took his wife and his sons. He puts them on a donkey and he goes back to the land of Egypt. And Moses carried the what? Read it with me. It's not Moses' anymore, is it? No. God's at work now. Because he's yielded that to him. And then God changes the world. From then on, it's the staff of God, no longer the staff of Moses. And it's that staff that God uses. Now, here's the thing I want you to understand. Um, A lot of people, like Melissa was talking about, from an early age, we have voices in our head. We have a running commentary. Therapists will call that your tape. And sometimes you have to replace that tape if you had bad messages coming in from moms and dads or grandmas or other folks in your life. You've got to retrain that. That's not God. It's important, but it's not God. So here's the thing. If you have a voice in your head that is trying to convince you or trying to argue with you or or telling you that you should do this or you should do that, that's not God. God doesn't ever should, people. Simply God says this is what is. He doesn't argue. He doesn't try to convince you. So if you've got this running tape in your head like, should I study for the test tonight or should I not study for the test tonight? Should I go out or should I study? That's not God. That's you trying to not study. Right? That, that's, just, that's just what that is. If you are arguing with yourself about, you know, whether or not, you know, pick it uh, about your spouse or your children or, your, you know, should I, you know, after church, all of you are going to have to make this decision, you know, where should we eat? I'm thinking Arby's. If you're married, you're not thinking Arby's today. You need to move it up, right? You need to change that or you're going to get smacked by your wife. So here's the thing. The voice of God does not argue. And you need to hear that. The voice of God does not argue. God doesn't need to convince you of anything. God doesn't try to convince you. It simply speaks. And it has a weight to it. It comes to you quicker than you can think, and it has a weight beyond any mortal word to it. Truth is self-authenticating, people. And you know when you hear things that are true. You've, You've had this. If you've been alive very long at all... Uh, or self-aware at all, people will say something to you, and every once in a while you're just like, "Ah, I don't really like that about myself, but that is true. Oh, that's true. You know, hashtag truth bomb, right? Oh, that's true. It has a weight to it. And and God is like that. God's not going to argue with you. He will tell you what to do, but he's not going to beg you. He's not going to say, oh, please. Right? If you have a voice in your head that says, oh, please, that's not God. It's just not. might be your mom, you know, but it's not God. God says, this is it. And then you get to choose to do or not do. But God doesn't argue with you. God is God. So the second thing about this, though, is that we, there needs to be a holy expectation. That when we come into God's presence, that God is going to act. He's not playing games with your life. God is always good, always true. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and life itself. This is who God is. So he's not playing with you. He's not trying to convince you. He's not going to argue with you. 
God simply is, and he's perfect love and perfect grace. But you have to have an expectation. I I love the metaphor about electricity and and lights. See, the thing is, you can have a, a perfect home where all you have to do is flip the switch and the lights come on. But if you don't have any faith to flip the switch, even if the electricity is there, even if the bulb works, it's not coming on, is it? You have to flip the switch. You have to expect the light to come on. And I want to share with you in real terms that it is possible that in this life, in this very life, that you can live with Jesus in the same way you live with electricity. Where you simply expect it to do all the things that you know it does and can do. But you can't know that unless you run with other people that know about electricity. Right? So in Oklahoma this time of year, surely this has happened to you. Maybe in the middle of the night, uh, you get up to go to the bathroom because we all do. You know, you just have to do that. And so you go, and, and so that you don't fall down, you go to flip the switch, and none of the lights come on because electricity's out, and you didn't know it, right? But it's just muscle reflex. You're just like, Psh. you're like, whoa, whoa, hold, hold, wait, wait, what? Right? You can live the same way with Jesus to where you're so used to walking in his power, so used to doing the things that, that he has called us to do that it's very rare, like once every three years, that you go and you're like, oh, wait a minute. Where's Jesus? Because normally when I'm praying for someone, or normally when I'm walking this out, normally when I do this with Jesus, these things happen. Normally the light comes on, the light didn't come on. We'll, we'll, we'll time out. You see, that's a very different life than walking around in darkness and asking God if he wants you to flip the switch. Friends, he wants you to flip the switch. Another way to put this is like this. If you're a parent, you know this. You don't want your kid to ask you what to do Every 30 seconds. Do you? No, you don't. God's in the backyard, this beautiful, loving grandfather, and he says, enjoy the backyard. Don't touch the fence. It's electrified. And there's wolves on the other side. Now, many of you, because you're in church today, um, you would have me believe that many of the kids are going to go play uh, badminton or foursquare or volleyball or whatever. All of it's in God's will. You can do all of it. You just have a good time. It's 100 acres. Go enjoy. But there's always those two kids, right? One of the kids goes directly to the fence, right? And they're like, how bad is this going to hurt? Right? But they touch it. Now, God loves them just the same. God loves them just the same. He says, don't touch the fence because it's for your good. Some kids will anyway. Does that mean God doesn't love them? No. Sometimes bad things happen to good people because we're stupid. <laughs> That's just the case. God didn't make you touch the fence. You chose it. He told you it hurt. It hurt. That made God a bad God. Right? But on the other end, you have the other kids that never leave the porch. They're like, no, God, really. Four square volleyball. Four square volleyball. I want to be in your perfect will. God's like, will you move on? I mean, really. We can get so locked up trying to do things perfectly. God doesn't want that. What God wants you to do is go and play and live in the fullness of his kingdom. And by the way, if you're in the kitchen playing with grandma and and having a great time with everybody and you see the trash is full, do you want a kid that asks you, do you want me to take out the trash or do you want him just to take it? You want him just to take it. You see, we spend way too much time asking God what he wants us to do when we already know what he wants us to do and we just don't want to do it. So we just ask him, well, do you want me to love my neighbor? Well, you know I do. It's one of the two commandments I gave you. Love God, love your neighbor. That's it. That's it. That's it. And we go, yeah, but who's my neighbor? He says, that'd be everybody. 
That'd be everybody. Got some more questions for me? Love God, love your neighbor. That covers all 66 books, friends. All the law and the prophets. So we have to expect God's blessing and and for God to work with us. So here's the thing. We can ask and ask and ask, but Dallas Willard says it very pointedly. He says, God is not a mumbling trickster. We know what he wants us to do. We do. We're just not sure we want to do it. But God has been very clear about what he requires of us, what he asks of us, how he wants to be in relationship with us. He wants us to love him because he first loved us, and he wants us to love everybody else. That's it. And, in case we missed it, James, the brother of Jesus, says it like this. He says, if any of you is lacking wisdom, it's okay to ask. Please do. Do ask. Because God gives to all how? Generously and ungrudgingly. Notice, it is not about works. It's not about merit. This is not a meritocracy. This is anybody who asks. Right? Anybody who asks, he gives generously, ungrudgingly. And it will be given you. Ask in faith, never doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea. It's like somebody who won't flip the switch. Driven and tossed by the wind for the doubter, being double-minded and unstable in every way, must not expect to receive anything from the Lord. You can have electricity, you can have a bulb, but if you won't flip the switch, it's not going to come on. That's not God's fault. So if you're sitting in your mind like, maybe I will, maybe I won't, it's not coming on. You move with the expectation that God is moving with you because he says he's with you. Because he is. And so Jesus, in Jesus' own words, he says this. You want to live in my will? Ask. And it'll be given you. Search. And you will find. Seek. Knock. And the door will be open for you. This is what God says to you. This is how he wants you to live your life. You don't need to be afraid. He's with you. Go. Ask. Seek. Knock. Now, you may say, well, okay, hold on. But you mean I can, I can hear the very word of God? You can actually tell his voice? You can know what he's talking to you about? Yeah. It's called reading your Bible. It really is. Everything that you need for salvation is found in the Bible. We're absolutely sold out on that. And if you've got voices in your head that tell you to do things that are not uh, lined up with the Bible, then that's not God. The Bible is the lens through which we read the world. And we look for patterns. What is God like? Not just in one location, but across all the, all the Bible. And then we look at God's character. Always loving. Always for us. Particularly looking out for the poor, the orphan, and the widow. He's looking for those who are uh, in need of help. And the thing is that God has already told you what to do in Scripture. He's told us. I love the story about the third grade boy who um, got tired of going to church. And by the way, if you're a parent of a third, fourth grade boy, just know that they all get tired of going to church uh, at some point. It's just just the thing, you know. Uh, It just happens. You just got to keep going, keep doing it. And uh, and they'll come around when they start liking girls in youth group. And um, it's the way it works. So... Uh, but he, he said to his mom one day, he goes, Mom, I'm not going to church anymore. She goes, what? He goes, I'm not going to church anymore. She says, well, what happened? He goes, well, I figured out last week that I already know more that I'm supposed to do to be good than I can do now. So I, I'm going to learn any more. I think if we're honest, we're all kind of like that kid. We're like, well, I mean, there's already more to do than I do now. So why do I want to know more about that? And this is what Jesus has to say to all of us. He says, this is my commandment, friends, that you love one another. As I've loved you. Now we can spend a lot of time in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John looking at how Jesus lived his life to live that out. But that's, that's it in a nutshell. We're supposed to love one another. As Jesus has loved us first. Now I want you to see this because this is super important. We live in a world of chaos today where we get different 
things. We have politicians and leaders who say one thing and do another, say one thing one day, say another thing the next day. They, the, whatever the winds of politics is, they just move with it. And it's maddening, and you, you just can't find a place to land. That is not the way it is with God. God is consistent. God's voice is consistent. Say it with me. God's voice is what? Consistent. And I want to show you this real quickly. Genesis, the very first uh, book of the Bible, written in 1800 B.C., nearly 2,000 years before Jesus. Okay? Now, the Lord comes to Abram. We'll know him later as Abraham. And he says, what? Go. Go from your country, your country, your father's house to land that I will show you. Notice that he doesn't lay it out for him. He says, trust me. And I will make you a great nation. And I will what? Bless you. That expectation of blessing. And make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. And in all the families of the earth, you shall be blessed. Uh, All the main monotheistic religions, Islam, Judaism, Christianity, all come from that scripture. Boom. All from Abram becoming Abraham. And the key word is what? Go. And then I'll I'll show you from there. I'm not going to show you tomorrow. I'm just going to show you now. Go. You do that. We'll take care of the rest. Then, some 500 years later, we get to Moses. And God says to Moses, what? Go. Right? It's an action. God is a God of action. Go and assemble the elders of Israel. Say to them, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, that we just looked at 500 years ago. Right? He appeared to me. And not just some cosmic God, but a very real God of Isaac, Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I've given heed to you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And then he says, what? Go and assemble the elders. Now, you'll notice there's a, very, there's a pattern, there's a directness, there's a non-arguing presence, there's a weightiness to it, and there's a, there's a movement to it. When God talks, whether it's in 1800 B.C. or in 1300 B.C., Moses is about 1300 B.C., or whether it's in 1200 B.C., uh, as Moses is handing the baton off to Joshua, he says, I hereby command you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened or dismayed, for the Lord your God is what? With you wherever you go. So he's asking him to go, to be strong and courageous, as he did the others, but not to fear because God is with you. Where? Wherever you go. Now that, if, if you're learning to know the voice of God and you've been reading the scriptures, this is what will come to mind when you read that. You're like, man, that sounds like somebody else I know. Who else says, I'll be with you? I'll be with you. I'll be with you. Don't fear. I'll be with you. Do not be afraid. I'll be with you. Well, there's a name that means I'll be with you. God with us. What is that name? Oh, Emmanuel. Yeah, Jesus' name. So Jesus says, I'll be, that sounds a lot like Jesus, yes. So at the very end of Matthew, if you're reading the Gospel of Matthew, you, you see Jesus say what? That sounds a lot like his dad, doesn't it? Go, you know, go and assemble, go and seek, go and ask, go and not go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything, all of it, not just some of it, that I've commanded you. And remember, say it with me, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is, this is the last thing that Jesus says before he ascends. Go, therefore, and remember, I am with you. Across 2,000 years, 1,300 years, 1,200 years, the time of Jesus, or the scripture we read today. Now that Jesus has ascended, the Holy Spirit has come. Jesus says to Saul, who will be Paul, now get up and what? Go. And you'll be told. He loves that line. And you'll be told what you must do. Next. Get up. Go to the city. Get up and what? Go. Do you hear the consistency? Do you hear uh, the cadence? Do you hear the directness? It's the same all the way through the Bible. And when God speaks to you, God will speak to you in this way. So with, with at some risk of, of misunderstanding, but I want to get the point across, we are more likely to hear God in a verse than a voice. Now, God will speak to you in a voice, but the way you learn that voice is by first learning a verse and vice versa. Just kidding. 
right? So as you learn God's voice, you'll recognize it in Scripture. And as you read Scripture, you'll recognize God's voice. They go together. They go together. So how do we live this out? Number one, read your Bible every day in whatever way that works for you. Uh, For me, it helps me actually have, I know you can do it on your phone, but for me, it actually helps me to have something I can write on and highlight and go to and mark. Now, that's partly my age, but it helps me. It helps me to become real that way. And I always have to ask the question, what does this tell us about God? What does this tell us about God's character? What is God like? The second question we ask as we're looking at the scripture is, what does this tell us about me? Because a lot of stuff you find in the Bible is terrible stuff. I mean, terrible stuff and what humanity is capable of, what we are capable of. And, and the Bible doesn't shy away from that. But when you come across those really terrible things, what you're reading about normally is about humanity and how God wants to redeem that. And so then that leads us to the third question is, well, what does that tell us about the relationship between God and us then, between God and humans? And, and what, what does that look like? Well, I want you to know that when we hear God, we can hear him directly. Um, and that's not just for clergy people, but it's for all people. Um, April, Yar Harler over here. Um, we're going to baptize little Abbott. There's Abbott. She's the littlest one here in just a few minutes. Um, but she's sitting in Audra's lap. And about a year ago now, um, Audra got a very difficult diagnosis of leukemia. She's doing great. Uh, about 14 months left now, I suppose. And, um, man, there's, there's, just, there's just nothing like it when, when the doctor tells you that your normal, healthy, uh, softball, courageous fighter kid can do anything at all, sings in the choir, plays softball, gets all the other girls in line. I mean, she can do it all. Um, has leukemia. You know, whoa. I mean, it just, it just, it just throws you. And you really want to be able to hear from God. You need to know if, if what, what you're hearing is God or just your own hope so. And so in, in an article that April wrote, she wrote this. She said, from the very first night, I begged God for reassurance that my little girl would be okay. And the message was not grand, but it was clear. This is a bump. That's how God spoke to April and it was very meaningful to her and something she could receive. And as concerns flooded my mind, she wrote, as I laid in the hospital sofa bed next to my girl, those four simple words were repeated and repeated again. This is a bump. And those four words allowed this exhausted and terrified pregnant mom, remember she's pregnant with Abbott at the time, to sleep that night. And God gave me those words that night and for the rest of this journey to stand on. This is a bump. When things get scary and my mind wanders to negative scenarios, I come back to my Lord and those words, this is a bump. God speaks. It's for our good. It's direct. It doesn't argue. It's loving. It's for our good, for our healing, for the wholeness, for salvation. Which is, by the way, what the Greek word sozo means. Salvation is sozo, which is healing. So, uh, you can do this too. Um, in 1992, Chantel uh, gave me a journal. Uh, that was, I was 25 at the time. I wasn't used to writing down my feelings, uh, much less identifying them. And um, so I started to write things down. Uh, and then I was taught by a mentor that I would write out my, my, just sort of like on a journal, and then I would actually use that as information for a prayer. And then the really fun part was I started just holding my pen and, and just saying, God, if you have something to say to me, would you, would you write back to me? And God did. And, and to, to be honest, the first day or two, week or two, felt a little you know, awkward, kind of clunky, like, really? You know, you're doing this? Don't let anybody read this. Don't let anybody see this. Um, but I'm 51 now. So for 26 years, 
Uh, I've been in this practice. This is about the last three, four years. And I, and I want you to know that God, as God spoke to April, God speaks to me. Um, and, and pretty much daily, um, the Lord's voice is consistent, has a certain weight to it. I want you to hear what it sounds like. Um, this is from 2015. Uh, Mark, fear not. I am with you. Fear not. Really? I have a problem with worry. Can you tell? We have you and the universe under our control. God's kind of funny like that. Like, come on, kid. It's the whole universe. I got you. We spoke it into being, and we can just as easily speak it into oblivion. Yet our love is for you and all humanity. Things are much better than they appear. Love abundantly today. Jesus. God says this thing to you. Now, if you're struggling with learning how to hear that voice or know that voice or discern that voice, it was a great, great joy in my life to come across Jesus Calling by Sarah Young. Because as I read that, the sound, the tone, the voice was exactly like God had spoken to April, exactly as God had spoken to me, exactly as God had spoken in the scriptures. And I, I was able to trust it. I was able to have something that God was speaking to me directly. And so I want to share uh, this from God to Sarah to you, particularly for all the ladies of the church today. Uh, but I think we all live here from time to time. This is God's word for you today, alive and well. Learn to relate to others through my love rather than yours. Your human love is ever so limited, full of flaws and manipulation. My loving presence, which always enfolds you, is available to bless others as well as you. Instead of trying harder to help people through your own paltry supplies, become aware of my unlimited supply, which is accessible to you continually. Let my love envelop your outreach to other people. Many of my precious children have fallen prey to burnout. A better description of their condition might be drain out. Countless interaction with needy people have drained them without their conscious awareness. You are among these weary ones who are like wounded soldiers needing R&R. &R. Take time to rest in the love light of my presence. I will gradually restore to you the energy that you have lost over the years. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus. Will you receive that word today? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are good, that you have come to give us rest, an easy yoke that we can live with you and play with you and have joy with you in your home here on earth, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done and we'd be a part of that until that day we get to see you face to face all the time with all your children at your table and in your backyard. We thank you for it all. And when our words fail us, we thank you that you've taught us even how to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.